Well, there's a mute button, so we're learning stuff today, guys. We're learning about technology today. I love it. Good morning, guys. My name is Warren Williams. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to be with you guys this morning and for the opportunity of the privilege that we have to go into God's word together. Um, And so today we're going to be in Nehemiah 4, and we're going to be looking at how, uh, as we, the people of God, how we are supposed to respond in the face of opposition. And before we do that, I was just thinking about, you know, times in my life where I faced opposition, and it brought me back to a time in my life before I was pastoring, before I even moved to Arizona. Um, it was when, um, so before this, before, before doing this role, I've been working in the trucking and logistics industry for like the last eight years or so. And where I got my start was in the South Bronx, New York, in this uh, small trucking company um, there. And so uh, I just graduated from college, you know, didn't know how to do anything, didn't study trucking, but just needed some money to pay off some of those student loans. And so I got started in, the, in this small trucking company. I started as an intern. And so I had been working there for like a year or so. And then one day after a year, one of the, the, the owner of the company, he came to me, he said, hey, we're going to fire your boss today. And I was like, hey, that dude had it coming. Like, he was really toxic. And so I was like, his day was coming. And so I guess it's today. Um, and so, you know, kind of expected that. But then the, the, the next thing the owner said actually surprised me because he said, hey, we're going to fire him and we want you to replace him. And that should have been my first time because I didn't know what I was doing. And so um, the fact that they would give me that chance or maybe, yeah, it, it was all bad. And so, uh, you know, so, but in the reality was, you know, I accepted it because I needed to pay off those student loans. And so I was like, sure, I'll do it. I'll do my, the best job that I could possibly do. And so one of the main things that I was tasked with, with, uh, you know, taking the role on was rebuilding the culture, right? Because of all the toxicity that I talked about, they just wanted the, the company to be a, a place where people were happy to come to work. So that was going on. It was all good. Things were, things were moving in really good directions. Um, it, it felt like, you know, we were seeing some, some good progress, right? And then things changed. So what happened was um, there was a director who was hired on who was going to be one of my superiors in the operations department, and him and I just didn't see eye to eye on anything, right? I'm going to call him Rob. It's very close to his name, but he needs to know how I feel this morning. <laughs> just fine. No, his name. And so Rob and I, we just didn't see eye to eye on anything, right? If I wore a blue shirt, he's like, why aren't you wearing red, right? If I'm walking on the left side of the hallway, he's like, why aren't you walking on the right, right? He's like, why aren't we doing more jobs? Why aren't we making more money? It was just thing after thing after thing after thing. And you know what? One Saturday morning, I'll never forget this. It was 6 a.m. in the morning. I had just finished working like 18 hours the night before. And this guy calls me up 6 a.m. in the morning, just railing on me about something. I don't even know. I don't remember what it was about. It clearly wasn't important, right? But he felt like it was really important to him. And it was just thing after thing. And you know what? It kind of boiled off and boiled up in that moment. And I responded. I wish I could say I responded. And it was like, brother, I forgive you. But it wasn't like that. Right? It was a little bit more aggressive. I said some things that I wasn't really proud. Of, I'm not really proud about. And I think that, that, that happens. Well, for me, that happened because at that point in my life, so much of my value was tied up in my work. Right, and so when those attacks came from Rob, right, it felt like a direct attack on my very, the core of my being, my identity, right? And that's what happens whenever we feel like there are attacks coming at our very identity. A lot of times we can feel led to respond in some unhelpful ways. 
And so where we're going with Nehemiah for today, where we're going to Nehemiah is that we're going to be seeing the people of God, their, their, their very identity is being attacked. Their very identity is being opposed. But what we're going to see is that they don't respond like I did in some unhelpful ways and that, and that unhelpful and, and just not a, a good way, right? They actually responded to the insults, right? By recognizing and remembering the God that they served, Right, and their, their recognition that this God that they serve would ultimately be their defender, right? It allowed them to do three things. And these three things are just three things that I want us to remember, even as we are in, in ourselves in a world where people may oppose our message, right? They endured the taunts, right? They stood firm. And not only did they stand firm, but they stood firm and stayed ready. And so my prayer this morning as we dive into Nehemiah 4 is that as we see how God's people are called to respond, that we too would learn how to respond well, to respond, how to respond faithfully as God's people in the face of opposition. Amen? All right. Before we do that, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for just a, just a gift of being here this morning, Lord. Um, the, the breath in our lungs, Lord, the ability to just be gathered together as your people, Lord. Um, we know, God, that your spirit moves, Lord. We pray it will just be moving through this, through this service this morning, through this time specifically, God. Let your word just awaken our hearts and eyes and ears to, to just see and hear the things that you would have us to receive, God. Lord, open up our hearts. If there are any distractions, remove them, Lord, and allow us to just be fully present in this moment, hearing from your word. God, we love you in your name. Amen. All right, would you start with me? We're going to pick up in Nehemiah 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, Now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. So first thing that we see, right, is the first way we see Nehemiah respond, right, and the way that we are called to respond in the face of opposition is to endure the taunts. Turn to your neighbor and say, endure. Endure, endure, thank you. Right, and so where we're at um, in, in this, uh, the story of Nehemiah is Nehemiah is this man on, on God's mission. He's been granted permission by uh, King Artaxerxes to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And as Will so beautifully um, preached on last week, you know, we, we got this beautiful image of all the people who were tasked with building the walls, just doing their part, right? Men and women and families and all the tribes within the people just doing their part, putting, putting the wall back together brick by brick, a truly beautiful scene. And so you could imagine that this is a very high moment for the people, right? It's a very like, oh man, like we're seeing the progress, we're seeing things go forward. This is encouraging, right? And then the haters arrive, right? Sambalat and Tobiah, when I saw those names, they made me think of like an 80s pop group or something, man. It sounds like Millie Vanilli or something, I don't know. 
right? And so the, the Sambalat and Tobiah, and we were actually introduced to them in, 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 in chapter one, right? And they do not want to see the people strengthened. They don't want to see this work continue. And so they see the progress. They see the unity. They see things moving forward. And they're upset. And there are attacks at the people, right? It's not like just superficial attacks. Like, oh, you look weird or something like that. Right? It's like attacks at their very identity. They're like, you feeble Jews. You're weak. You think you're going to be able to rebuild? You think that you're going to be able to protect yourself? Right? Not only that, they attack their God. Right? They say, oh, you think that you are going to sacrifice and your God's going to do something for you? Please, what is it? Where has that gotten you so far? Right? And so they're attacking the people at their very identity. And Tobiah, like, when I, when I read Tobiah's statement, it reminded me of like a, a Disney villain. He's like, if a fox goes up on that wall, it'll like, it'll tear it down. Like, just pouring fuel on the fire, man. He's like the worst crony in any sort of cartoon movie you've ever seen. Right? And so all these taunts, all these attacks are, are being lobbed in the direction of the people in the work. And what does Nehemiah do? Right, Nehemiah has the choice to, is he going to just dialogue with Sambalat and Tobiah and all these people and, and, and try to respond to what they have to say? Is he going to focus his attention there? Or right, is he going to direct his attention towards God, knowing that God will ultimately be his defender and he's the one that's going to answer those taunts? Right? And that's what we see him do. He puts his faith, he turns to God in praise rather than responding to Sambalat, Tobiah, and the taunts. Right? He endures the taunts. And I was just thinking about recently, if someone I just saw endure some taunts really well, I was really impressed by, even though it kind of hurt, and I'll explain why. And so I'm an NBA fan, I'm a fan of the Knicks. And, um, you know, we didn't have the long, illustrious playoff run like your Phoenix Suns are currently on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got, yeah, yeah. I see you Laker fans. Let's go. Um, but so when we, we played the Atlanta Hawks in the first round, um, but we were like, we got eliminated in the first round, but we're used to losing. So that was just like, we might hang a banner, banner for that. Just the fact that we made it. Um, and so the, the, the Atlanta Hawks star, his name is Trey Young. Right? Yeah, we got some Trey Young fans out there. And, and so what the MSG faithful, what the Nick fan faithful said, you know, we're going to come and support our team. You know, we're not used to this. We're not used to any sort of winning. So we, we're just going to come and support the team the best way we know how. And the best way they knew how, right, was not to make fun of Trey Young's basketball abilities, right? His crossover move. That was my crossover move. Right? It was to actually make fun of his very identity. They were like, Trey Young, you are bald. They're like, you're 22 years old and you already, you've lost all your hair. And as a person who suffers from male pattern baldness, I was like, bro, that's a little, that's a little too close to home. <laughs> you know, they were like, you're bald, right? And then they made fun of his game and, you know, just tried to, to, to throw, off the, throw off his game, right? But one thing I was actually really impressed with, with Trey Young is he ignored that. Right, because he said, you know what? I don't care if you call me bald. I don't care if you say I, I stink and all and, and whatever you have to say. I know my ability. I know where my identity is. I know the, the the ability of my team and the mission that we're on. So I don't really care what you have to say. I don't care if there's twenty three thousand people yelling towards my direction. And there's something to be learned there, right? Because when you are confident in your identity, when you know where your identity derives from, 
right? When you know the mission you're called to, it doesn't matter if an arena full of people are, are, are taunting you. You keep your focus on the mission. And so my question, church, today is do we know our identity? Do we know the mission that we are called to and the God who calls us? Right, you've probably heard the attacks right, on, on, on the church and on faith, right? If you have faith, what do they say? You're irrational, right? You're building your hope on what? Fairy tales, right? You're turning to your faith because you're just weak-minded. You can't deal with the things of the world, the hard things of the world. Right? If you've been on social media, and the, especially in tragedy, it's like, oh, here come the Christians again with their thoughts and prayers, and those prayers just stop at the ceiling. Why are they wasting their time? Right? There are all these, these attacks that you may have experienced, you may continue to experience. And I, I guess when you face those attacks, how do you feel? Because right? I think there's a number of different emotions that we can feel in the face of you know, attacks. Right, we can feel maybe the need to like distance ourselves from the church. Like, yeah, it is messed up, but I'm not really just a part of that. Like, that's them, and that's and we can do that action, right? Or to just disengage and say, yeah, there's no hope. Like, this thing is just too broken, and forget it. Right, but there's also sometimes that that want, that urge to like maybe have the perfect answer, right? To have the perfect answer in the face of the taunt. And what I want to tell you today is our hope is not built on the perfect answer. It's built on the perfect Savior, right? We point to him, and we trust that that Savior, Jesus, he is going to be the one that's going to ultimately defend the church and defend it to the end. You know, when we, when we think about the taunts we saw in, we see in Nehemiah, right? Some of the taunts, if, if you know, I, I just think like if when we try to have the perfect answer, right, or the perfect defense, a lot of times what we're trying to do is to like rely on our own strength, rely on our own intellect to like bring us through and to prove that we're smarter than people and all that sort of stuff, right? And if we just look at the taunts, right, the, the, the taunts that Sambalat and Tobiah and the enemies were thrown at the people, right? If, they, if the people are, are just working out of their own strength and their taunts whole weight, Right, because they are using burnt up bricks that have already been beaten down. Right, they are using, they're trying to rebuild a, 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 a strong wall out of things that are already beat up and have already been torn down. But what keeps the people building? Right, it's the recognition that the God of the universe is the one that's called them to the work. And he is the God that can take all the burnt up and beaten and the bricks that people think is just can't be used. And he through, if he is in there, if he's working on it, then those bricks become stronger than any man-made concrete, any man-made brick that, that could ever be created. Right? We, 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 we rely on God, not, 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 we rely on God. And he takes all the, the burnt up things, all the burnt up parts of our life, and he restores them. In our weakness, he allows his, that's where his strength is made perfect. That's what our God does. Right? He uses the foolish things, the things that the world looks at and says, that's just weakness. And he, that's where his strength is made perfect. And so church, we rebuild with the confidence, right? That Christ is the one who upholds and sustains the church, right? We endure because our identity is not in what a tweet says or a Facebook. Our identity is ultimately in the, what God says about us. He has the final word. 
right? Our confidence is in the work of Jesus and the commitment he's made to the church, even when it's messy. He loves it. And so we endure the attacks, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the taunts, endured the cross, endured all the shame and things that everyone had to say about what he was doing, right? But he placed his faith not in what they had to say, but in the Father who raised them to glory, amen? We endure the taunts, knowing that God is ultimately the one who's defending us. And so as we continue on in chapter four, we're going to see that the, the attacks from Sambalat, Tobiah, and the surrounding nations, they increase. And what Nehemiah does is he leads the people in standing firm. Pick up with me in verse 10, and we'll go to, to 14. Um, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we would not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. And so the second thing... We see Nehemiah do, but the second thing for us to, to take away this morning in the face of opposition, what we do is we stand firm. Say with me, stand firm. Stand firm. There we go. And so uh, what the situation is, the, the enemies of the people, right? They, they've, they've taken, um, uh, they're like, if, the, if our words can't hurt you, we're just going to go to sticks and stones. And they meant that like literally, like they had sticks and stones, like they were, they were coming. Right? And, and so they were like, hey, if you, you know, if, if, if our words weren't enough to discourage you, ah, we're just going to come and kill you. Right? Like the not very a creative solution, but hey, you know. Right? And so what happens is that there are the, the Jews who live amongst the enemies, they hear of the winds of the attack and they go to Nehemiah. Right? And they're like, Nehemiah, these guys mean business. Right. And, and, and in some respect, like, I just wonder what Nehemiah was is thinking at this point. Right. Because there's like an external attack that's to be expected. Right. There are the external people, the tribes and the, 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 the people groups who don't want to see the work strengthened. And that's to be expected. Right. They, 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 they are afraid to see the people be strengthened. Right, so that's expected, but then there internally, there are people like him who have been given God's word and know God's promises, and they come to him, and when they warn him, they're not giving him like a Gatorade and encouragement. They're like, just come back. Like, forget it. Right, this work isn't worth it. This God who said he's going to save us, he's not going to do that. Just forget it. Just come back. Put down the bricks. Stop the work. Come back home. Right, but Nehemiah, he doesn't do that. Right in the face of the internal, external attacks, he doesn't do that. He doesn't waver. He's like, okay, thank you for that. Not going to take your advice. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to station, come up with a strategy to station people in the open spaces of the wall, right, with their, sp with their spears and bows and, and weapons, right, so that they can defend against the oncoming attack. Right, but the truth is what we see in, as Nehemiah closes at the end of that section, Right, the, the, the hope is not in their weapons. Right, their hope is actually remembering and standing on the promises of God. That's what he really calls them to. 
is to stand on the promises of God that they can stand firm because God is going to be the one who is there fighting for them. And I think, you know, in our, in our generation today, whenever we hear words like defend, stand firm in church, we're like, oh, no. Right? It makes us uncomfortable. And I get it for some reasons. Like, we know that in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. And, and you know, that, uh, 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 yeah, just history hasn't looked good whenever the church is, like, defended, right? You think about things like the Crusades and culture wars and all those sort of things that maybe are in our brightest moment, moments as a church. And so I was thinking about, you know, where, I've, where have I heard, like, the language of, like, standing firm, defending, just even growing up in church? Where has that language been present for me? And I, think about, I thought about songs like, uh, I'm in the Lord's army. And I, actually, a friend told me that when uh, he sang that song when he was doing, like, overseas missions, and they thought, like, they were really about to go, like, on a bombing mission or something. And he was like, dude, not that. We're not doing that. Right? But one of the songs that, like, I remember singing in church um, one of those old hymns, it was called uh, Onward Christian Soldiers, right? And it's just one of those songs. I remember we used to sing and we used to do this too, like as we were singing and stuff. But it's just one of those songs, if you've been in, 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 in Christian, if you grew up in church, you've been in Christian culture, when you bring it up today, a lot of people are like, oh no, please. Like, don't sing that song, right? That's, uh, that, let's put that in the hymnal and just get the hymnal out of here, Right? Right, but as I was thinking about it, as I was even preparing this message, I was like, you know, I actually want to like look at that song. And I want to explore it again, because maybe what I thought about it, my impression of it, wasn't right. And so I pulled up some of the lyrics to Onward, Christian Soldier, and and they'll be on the screen here. Um, It says, one one of the stanzas here, it says, at the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On the Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems, raise. And, and, and what I didn't do is just like pull out the nicest sounding stanza of this song. And the rest of the song is like talking about cutting people's heads off or something like that. Like when you actually look at the lyrics of this song, right? What there's this old hymn that the church has, has sung for a long time. What, what the lyrics actually remind us or what they encourage us is like, it's not military action. It's not, let's go uh, bomb somewhere. It's nothing like that. It's reminders for the church that we are called to be unified in Christ, right? That Jesus is our leader, that his promises will never fail. Just like the real controversial things of our day. And what this song, what the, the reason why I think hymns like this were created, whether the reason why hymns like this were sung in the church, right, right, were to remind us that there are still enemies on this side of the cross. Just look a little different, right? Our enemies are not Tobiah or the Ashdodites or Sambalat, right? When you go outside, there's not going to be a, a legion of an army out there waiting to attack us. And if, we, if there are, we got campus safety and they, they do a good job. So we're not really even worried about it. Like, no, like our enemies look different, right? Our enemies on this side in the new covenant, our enemies, you've heard us say it before, it's the enemies of sin, Satan, and death. And the the reality is, is that we as God's people gathered across all sorts of borders, right? Those enemies, those powers of evil are waging war against the church, right? We remember Paul's exhortation in Ephesians 6, where he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
And in some respect, um, the way that these enemies attack is very similar to what we see Nehemiah and the people experience, right? Because there are, the, the, the enemies, they, they attack internally, right? And we've seen just all the stories of things that have come out of the church, abuse and all sorts of things that, that are, are, are not, uh, that, are, uh, that compromise and hurt the witness of the church, Right, and you see people just in their faith just be discouraged and walk away and just uh, uh, be a totally ashamed of some of the actions of the church. Right, and then externally, right, we talked about the taunts and things like that. But even in this very moment, right, in the global churches we got to hear from today, there are parts of the global church where they are actually experiencing persecution at this very moment. Right, and so there's those external attacks that come. And so with this sort of warfare, how do we respond? How do we stand firm in the face of these attacks? Why it's very similar to what we saw Nehemiah remind the people at the end of what we just read, Why He reminds them to stand on the promises of God. Right, the promises, and one of them you will hear us say over and over again because we just need to remember it. Right, is that Jesus says, right, that the deeps promise that the, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Right, and he has secured the, the victory over these powers of the enemies of sin, Satan, and darkness and death. Right, but the, the reality is, is that these enemies, these evil entities, they are in a, uh, 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 they are in a fragile state. Right, and anything that's evil and in a fragile state, what happens is they become more brutal. And so we'll see the brutality and the ways that they attack us. Ways they attack us, it's, it gets brutal. And so Paul, right, not only does he identify the proper enemies in Ephesians 6, right, but he gives us tools, right? He reminds us how we fight, Right, we get this image of the armor of God that we have to put on every day. And that's not just a nice thing for Sunday school and for the kids to remember and so they can march around. It's like the real, the thing that we must put on every single day in the face of these enemies. By right, some of those items that Paul lists, right, the belt of truth. Right, in the face of the, 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 the lies of the enemy that tries to tell us things about God and ourselves and the church and all sorts of lies he tries to implant in our brain, right, to discourage, to divide, to destroy us. Right, we put on the belt of truth right, to hold us together. The shield of faith. Right, the shield of faith that reminds us of the hope that we have in the gospel. Right, in the face of the way the enemy tries to just pour, hit us and bombard us with doubts. Right, the, the, the ways that sometimes this evil wreaks havoc in our own lives. We remember faith. We remember the, the hope that we have in Jesus. Right, the helmet of salvation. Right, when, when the enemy says, oh, you know, all that stuff that Jesus done, done it doesn't really apply to you. Right, that you, he tries to tell us that we don't have right standing with God and, and our salvation is not secure and all this sort of stuff. We put on the helmet of, of, of salvation that reminds us of what we know even when we don't feel that way. The Patagonia Hydro Flask. I just want to make sure I'm paying attention. No. One of the last things he mentions, right, is just the, the shoes on your feet. Right, the shoes that the gospel gives that allows you to stand firm. 
right? And we're standing firmly in the peace of the gospel that tells us that Jesus is Lord in spite of whatever the circumstances may be, right? That no matter how bad and how, how, how harsh the attacks of the enemies are, are, Jesus is still ruling and reigning and that is peace for life. And so we stand firm, right? You can stand firm knowing that it is God who is ultimately gonna be your defender, Right, that we stand firm in the truth and the victory that the gospel brings. You know, but the, the reality is, is that even though we may stand firm, right, it doesn't, we're, we're not promised that our resistance to evil is going to lead to its elimination. Right, there, there are still, until the, the final judgment happens, right, and until that day, we will have to contend with these enemies. And so as we go into our last section today, Nehemiah 4, what we're going to see is Nehemiah. He has a recognition of this in a similar way with the situation he's facing, right? And what he does is he devises this strategy to allow the work to continue, but also for the people to stay ready. Pick up with me in verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Amen. So what we see is Nehemiah, the last thing that he does here, right? He leads the people not only standing firm, but staying ready. They stand firm and stay ready. And so what happens here is that the surprise element of the, 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 the enemy was trying to, how they were trying to attack the people that's ruined by what we said that some of the Jews were living amongst them. They come and tell Nehemiah. But what Nehemiah rightly does, right? And this is so important. Like God sometimes just beautifully moves in our life, right? And it's just like, Nehemiah rightly says, oh, it's God that frustrated their plans, right? It's not like, oh, that was a cool coincidence that you were near them while you heard them. It was like, no, this was an act of God. And so he rightly gives the glory to God for frustrating the plans. And what Nehemiah recognizes is that just because this attack was thwarted, it doesn't mean that the opposition is over, right? It doesn't mean that the enemies are just going to go home and say, hey, we gave it our best shot. I know the attacks are going to continue. And so they have to come up with a way to continue the work because it's important for the world that that work continues to go on. By that has to, rebuilding efforts have to move on. But in some sense, they have to rebuild with a brick in one hand and a bow in another. A brick in one hand and a sword in another. They have to rebuild and stay ready against future attacks and I just love Nehemiah, just like side note, just the way that like, if you read on in the rest of chapter four, just he, he's not a leader who just screams out instructions from like a bunker somewhere. He's like there with the people foregoing his comfort and just, just really proximate. And I think that's really 
It's a good word for leadership. Um, but what we ultimately see is just that people, right? They, 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 what, what Nehemiah is leading them is that they can, they can ultimately stand steadfast in the truth that God is gonna be the one who's fighting for them, right? That's what we see at the end there. But they have to stay ready against future attacks. And I think there's a word for us there. Right, because as a church, as a church, I just think one thing I've heard so much recently, which is like, there's some good in it, right? Of like, I just can't wait for things to get back to normal. Why I just can't wait for things to all open up again. Again, good stuff, good, good reasons for why we're saying that. But I think what we can't lose sight of is that the enemies were attacking way before last year. And guess what? They're going to continue to attack even after things get back to so normal, as you may call them. Right, so we have to stay ready. Right, and, and, and periods of crisis, they're difficult for many reasons um, and just hard, you know, we, we learn a lot through those seasons of crisis and hard times. But one of the good things that can happen through crisis is sometimes we get a perspective on what's actually important in our lives. Right, actually, we, God shows us things about himself and ourselves. And we're like, oh man, like I didn't know I could even do that. Or, you know, I had that in me. Or, or, you know, God just showed himself to be faithful. And there's some good things that can come out of it. But I remember, you know, with, with, with Father's Day being last week, I remember one of the memories um, that I've had with my dad that I would never forget um, was when I was, when I was living in New York, right after 9-11, my dad's like a news junkie, historian of, of sorts. If he's watching this, he's probably like got a... Uh, the sermon on like History Channel and Swiss Screen or something. Um, but, but he like, we, we, he was like, hey, do you want to go down to the city and just kind of like see, see what it's like? And I was like, sure, sure, you know? And so we went down there. And again, I'll never forget this uh, for the rest of my life. Um, I just remember getting down to downtown Manhattan and just seeing people like praying together and helping one another. And I don't know if you know this, but like the reputation of New Yorkers are not necessarily like the most helpful and kind people. And so this was out of the ordinary, right? But this crisis had kind of reminded them of like just their interdependence. And there was just this like beautiful scene of like, oh man, like we need each other. We can help each other. This is a good thing. Right? And if you go down to New York City today, it's just like that. Just everyone's like kind of just singing together and dancing. No, it's not true. Definitely don't go down there like this. I just word to the wise. Um, no, like people forgot, right? Like the tragedy passed, the hard times passed, things went get back. Well, things got back to normal, and we just kind of like, ah, eh, you know, back to normal. Forget about all that stuff. I don't need you at your throat again. And I was just thinking, right, I don't want that to happen to us as the church after this season. Right, there are things that God has shown himself, ways that he has shown himself to be faithful, new weapons that he has formed within us and strengthened in this past season that I want to continue to hold even after this season of rebuilding. Right, one of those things was prayer. Right, maybe before the pandemic and everything like that, so much of my life was built on self-reliance. Right, and if I just set things up right, if I just put the right systems and processes in place, they should just flow according to plan and we're all good. Right, and then something like that pandemic happens and it just completely wrecks that. We recognize how much we're not in control. Right, and there were so many moments last year, even stepping into this new role where I was like, God, if you don't show up, I don't know what to do. Right, it wasn't even just with this role, even with family. Just there were so many things on top of things and ways that you know we were just thinking of how do we keep people connected and and, and family members who were sick and all these things. I said, God, you just got to show up. 
And he did. Right? And so after this season, after this season fast, I don't want to fall into this false sense of comfort where we are deceiving ourselves to think that we are in control again. I prayer. I want to say, God, where is your spirit going? Lead and I will follow. Prayer. Reliance on him. No matter the circumstances, good or bad. Secondly, right, the, the, the weapon that is God's word. Right, one thing that I was just so touched by as a church, the way we responded in the last political season. Right, all the, the threats that were thrown our direction of people being separated into their own little political camps or whatever, and ideologies, whatever it may be. But what we committed to as a church was that we were going to stand on God's word and stand firm in it and allow it to be what leads us. Right, and where, where it could have been a season where people went to their tribe, people committed in the King of Kings campaign, we signed that commitment that said, you know what, before we point out the, the speck in someone else's eye, we're going to remember the log in our own. I remember the, we remember God's word that told us to love our neighbors, right? And that we are supposed to be united with, as a body with Christ as the head, right? And so I, I don't want to lose that, right? I don't want to fall into a false, a false sense of comfort again, right? Where we've been pulled each some sort of way. I want to stand firmly on God's word, right? And, the only, and make Jesus the only person that we bow our knee to. Second thing, what was the second thing? God's word. It's lastly, just the, 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 the gift that is like the community, the church, the actual gathering of believers, right? Like maybe before this season, maybe what we thought and we were just like, hey, I can kind of just live my life completely online. Like I got social media, I got, um, I was about to say AOL Instant Messenger, wow. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, just all these sorts of means of communicating without actually being there, right? And then, you know, uh, the in-person, the opportunity to actually be together <laughs> was pulled away from us, right? And then we were, we, we were kind of forced into doing the online-only thing, and it was like, please, I don't want to have another Zoom call ever again, Right, and so just the, the, the beauty of what I've really loved in this season of how we've just gotten around tables, talked with one another, looked at each other, eye to eye, flesh to flesh, loved each other, and lived and being known and, and knowing in, this, in our community. Right, one of the things that we say is like, uh, a, a good plate of brisket can cover a multitude of Facebook arguments. <laughs> right, as we see each other flesh to flesh, eye to eye, this gathered community and Church, I didn't say this to the nine, but God is doing something in this community. He's doing something in this church, and it's just beautiful to be here and to be a part of it with you all. I don't want to forget just the, the joy and beauty of being together, gathered tightly as God's people. And I think the reality is the only way that we forget, right, if we, is, is if we are pursuing something other than the kingdom. Right, if, we're, if we are people pursuing comfort, right, then we're just going to revert back to our old ways. But that's not our goal. We are people not pursuing comfort. We are people proclaiming the kingdom of God and how it's broken through in every single area of our life. Right, and so I'm not looking to get back to the old thing. I'm looking to say, God, where are you moving and how do we get on board? 
and the, the, the beauty right, of living and knowing, of having faith and knowing that Jesus is Lord, right, is that that's where we find our comfort and it's a comfort that's good for all times. Right, it's a comfort in this life of knowing that in spite of the attacks, in spite of all the taunts, in spite of everything that we've talked about, the peace of the gospel tells us that Jesus is Lord. That if you have faith, you put your faith in him. It doesn't matter. Nothing can pull you from the security of him in his father's hands. That's peace for this life. And you know what? It's also peace for the life to come because what Jesus has done is he has gone on to prepare a place for people who put their faith in him. And one day we will be ruling and reigning with him for eternity. That's peace for eternity. And so church, as we come to a close today, remember your God. Remember your God. Remember he is great and awesome. Right, and we stand firmly in the victory that the cross provides. Right, so we can endure the taunts. We stand firm and we stay ready knowing that God will ultimately be the one who defends us. Amen? Amen. And so as we come to a close, I want to take a couple moments. Um, just close your eyes, pray, um, and, and ask God, uh, what are some of the ways that he has shown himself to be faithful in this past year or so? Or what are some of the things, the, the ways that he has, he has just shown himself to be good beyond measure, right? And I encourage you, just take this time to just pray and just ask God to bring those things to mind, right? When you are drifting towards comfort, allow, him, allow those things to come to mind um, so that you could be reminded of who we are called to be, where our identity actually lives. Take some time to actually pray about that, and then I'll come and lead us in communion. God, we, again, we just thank you for your word, Lord. Your word that reminds us of our identity as the people of God. God, that our strength is not in ourselves, Lord. Our strength is in you as our defender, God, and that our strength is in the promises of the things you've already said. Because what we know is that you will stand by your word always, Lord. It's good for all times. Lord, in this season, or where even where things may in some ways get more comfortable for us, God, allow us not to be a people of comfort. Allow us to be a people, God, who are living witnesses, God, to what you've done in our lives, God, to the beauty of the kingdom, Lord, in a world that's looking for hope. God, bring these things to, to bear in our minds, Lord. God, we, we just thank you again for just the way your, your spirit is moving to service this morning. We love you in your name. Amen. Now we're going to communion. Grab the element from your seats. And the bread. I remember Christ's body freely given for us on our behalf. I pierced by the enemies for us. May eat.
and in the wine. Remember Christ's blood shed for us, covers us for all times. Right, that reminds us of the freedom and the peace that we have in the gospel of knowing that right, our greatest enemy of death has been defeated. Let me drink. Now we're enter, we'll enter into a time of worship. I encourage you to sing out and worship.